So this episode that you're about to listen to is riddled with spoilers. Um, we're going to be discussing Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Sopranos, Orphan Black a little bit, Orange is the New Black, and um, yeah, if you are not caught up with those shows and don't want them spoiled for you, maybe skip this episode and catch us on the next one. Their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maude. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maude, the film podcast with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. You're listening to Bonnie and Maude. I'm Xenia. I'm Eleanor. And with us today we have Mike Katzif. Hey, Mike. Hi, how's it going? Mike is a uh, the former esteemed producer of Pop Culture Happy Hour on NPR, and he's a radio producer at WNYC and a pop culture aficionado. Today is September 22nd. It is the dawn of the penultimate Breaking Bad episode, and a week from today is the Breaking Bad finale. Um, and after last week's episode, uh, Ozymandias... Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Um, of Breaking Bad. A huge discussion was kind of um, elevated about the hate that has been directed towards the character of Skylar White, played by the actress Anna Gunn. And we thought it would be an interesting occasion to talk about the wives of male antiheroes on TV right now. And this was actually Mike's idea. Mike, why did you bring this topic to the table? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, I, I watch a lot of TV, which I guess is why I'm sort of uh, thinking about this sort of stuff anyway, but when Anna Gunn wrote an op-ed, sort of like this open letter in the New York Times, basically saying, look, this is happening, I am being treated, me, my character, but also now me as an actress, is sort of being treated as um, lesser than and attacked by a certain sect, and a very probably small but vocal sect of the internet, which the internet being the internet can be a kind of an awful place for that sort of thing, like all your various message boards and things like that. And I think she sort of brought up this this thing that's sort of been happening where a lot of fans are, uh, how would you say it, like attacking her character for being this like hindrance to Walter White, the protagonist of the show, and saying it's getting to the point where like it's attacking me personally mm-hmm. for being awful. And I, I guess to me, this sort of brought up in Anna Gunn in the piece sort of brought up this idea that it's holding women to like a completely different standard in television comparatively to the men on these shows. And this, in so-called like a new golden age of television, these shows are better and better and better, but are they truly like servicing the, the women in those roles as, as good as they are for, like, Don Draper or Walter White or whoever. Or Tony Soprano. Or Tony Soprano. Yeah, what's interesting about all these shows is you have these male protagonists who are fascinatingly complex characters, and usually they're kind of bad men, but they're written with such attention to story and character development and with such loving detail that they become these larger-than-life characters that you can't help but root for, even when they're doing terrible things. Mm -hmm. The anti-hero, the Mm -hmm. difficult man, and this is who is populating TV right now. And so, like you said, their wives have to take on the position of being the voice of reason and standing in the way of them achieving their terrible dreams. They are just another conflict in the plot. They are just another uphill for the 
a lead character, the male character to climb. Exactly. I don't know. They're being put in a place of all this hatred. And I'm not sure, especially in the case with Breaking Bad, I know Vince Gilligan does not, did not set out to make Walter White a character that people want to root for, that want to like. He, you know, the from Mr. Chips to Scarface, we're not supposed to want Walter White to achieve his goals. But he's the lead. The truth is, even if he wasn't as complex as he is and doing such terrible things, because he is the main character, we're with him from the start. We want to see where this is going, and we're playing within the rules that he's creating. Mm -hmm. Well, as a point of view character... Uh, your protagonist is sort of like your entry into this world and initially when it comes to Brian Cranston as Walter White he is in this position of being um, shy and introverted and kind of doofy and put upon and really like within himself and so you do immediately relate to that person because he is not a strong character and he also has cancer so right you're like and so they I immediately ramp person. that up yeah. right? <laughs> and you want to see them you know you you get that impulse of you know the reason he's getting into to meth this this business or whatever is because uh he does want to take care of his family as the show has c- clearly progressed that's less and less clear if that's hundred percent his motives and his his disposition but initially that's sort of what you're thinking so the way like the show sort of set up uh anna gunn as his wife as skylar is that like he's keeping a secret from her so her position is basically like what what if she finds out mm-hmm. and she that like that's sort of cops. like that motivation mm-hmm. for a good chunk of that thing in the same way that in Mad Men, what if what if Betty finds out who Don Draper really is? And that was such a, a big source of that tension and kind of underserved those actresses in some ways. Right. I mean, when taking a show like Breaking Bad, when it first started, Anna Gunn or Skylar White wasn't even that interesting a character. She was seen as naggy and really naive and pretty bland. And she you- was part of the scenery mm-hmm. al- along with Walter White's son and his um, brother and sister-in-law they were just like floating around exactly and then as the series has gone on she has become more complex as she finds out what Walt has been up to she catches him in the lies she becomes incredibly depressed mm-hmm. and is you know the recipient of his abuse and his lies at one Mm. point she sets a restraining order against him which he violates until kind of beaten down by all of the drama she eventually joins him Mm -hmm. uh and you know as she to quote her in her op-ed she finally quote stands by her man yet that hasn't like cut down on the hate against her at all i don't know if she's like truly standing i mean i don't pretend to know like exactly what every single motivation in that that character as as it's gone on but if i had to break her down i would say that she's like a survivalist more than anything else Mm -hmm. and so her main focus was protecting herself protecting her kids and sort of setting up like this distance so if the best thing to help her and her family was to go along with walt or tamp down her resistance to this stuff or Later on, when she gets like more hands-on into the business, uh, she's doing that so she can protect everyone around her. 
and it compromises her obviously but i think at some point like there is like a little bit of like juice like a little bit of like excitement that comes along with that in the same way that walt as soon as he kind of started picking at the scab that he is like he kind of feels like a little bit of like like a little energized by 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 the, the wrongness yeah i mean there was a moment two weeks ago where she said something that made her seem for a split second on par with walt and that's when they were in the hotel room hiding and discussing the Jesse Pinkman problem. Mm-hmm. And basically, Skylar says, well, you've already killed all these people. What's one more? And that was one moment where she kind of flirted with addressing the same kind of evil that Walt has been living in for quite some time. And that was a, maybe the darkest moment for Skylar White in the series so far. Well, it's also like she, she knows he has already crossed these lines and... It's not like she would have to commit this murder um, and she needs to keep protecting her family. So it's like, yeah. And she doesn't know him. She doesn't know Jesse Pinkman as well as Walt and doesn't realize that Walt, you know, in one way or another considered him like a family of sorts. And so she's, she just thinks him as like this scuzzy punky kid that, you know, he's a threat to us. Therefore Mm -hmm. just eliminate this one. Like you did with, everyone else like leading up to this Hank moment. is a threat as well and she clearly doesn't want him dead yeah so I wonder if that moment incited even more vitriol from fans because here she was suggesting that the show kill off one of its most beloved characters mm-hmm. so at this point she's not just a drag and like you know trying to stop Walt from doing these incredible powerful things now she's also hated because there's aggression like she also has thoughts of violence Mm -hmm. there was a turning point like a little bit earlier in this season when they were trying to figure out once once walt let skylar know that hank knew what was going on and he was going to turn himself in and he said like i don't want to have gone through all of this stuff if you can't protect you know if i haven't like left like this nest egg for you Mm -hmm. and she sort of said more or less in a very like Lady Macbeth kind of way. Like, what if we just don't do anything? What if we just ignore it and and fight it? And so she was, whether she truly was truly on board with it or not, she certainly saw like the benefit in conniving or being like a little bit more Machiavellian with with like in cahoots. That's a funny word. In cahoots <laughs> with uh, with Walt, where. You know, she knew about like this DVD. Like, I think little by little, and and even leading up to that, where she is helping embezzle all this money or you know launder it through through the system and holding on to it, she's she's doing this to basically hope that like at some point they will be fine. This will all like go away, blow over. Yeah, I think Skylar's choices, though, historically in the show she's taken a lot more time to consider them than Walt, who acts completely irrationally and will just make decisions to save his ass in that moment without considering the end game or considering the future. I mean, her decision to put a restraining order against him, to try to move the kids in with Hank and Marie, to join Walt in the business, I feel like she, in a way, had no other choice, Mm -hmm. but she did consider all the options before going to this, whereas Walt is 
a freaking idiot half the time. I mean, no, he, I disagree. I, he he's impulsive, up, though. He follows like this impulsiveness that he is not like used to being. Sure, but he also has to think more quickly. Mm-hmm. There are people at his head with a gun versus Skyler, who can generally stay at home and like think through things. You know, I would have agreed with you until the last episode where Hank si- or where Walter simultaneously killed his brother-in-law inadvertently he's, and gave up all of his money he's getting and sloppy. gave away yeah exactly and i think that is just because the show is on its way to its ending but the i mean his decisions are not well thought out mm-hmm. exactly but I, I feel like so much of like i mean keep in mind it's only been 18 months more or less they've sort of hinted that that's like as long as it's been and in the timeline of the show in the timeline of the show even though for us it's been a lot longer it's been like dirge, five years. right but for him, like, all of a sudden he finds out, like, all of these things uh, that have, like, set him, like, on this, this path. And he's used to being very methodical and very thoughtful. And as soon as, like, he kind of, like I said, like, picks, like, this scab at himself, he, like, it, it exposes, like, all these, like, raw nerves and, like, these impulses that he kind of gets excited by, but also is mm-hmm. setting him complete on this runaway train that... It's literally like literally <laughs> on a runaway train. And I don't think he knows necessarily how to deal with that thing. I mean, that's the thing that like got him to impulsively just like go up to Mike's car at the very end of last season and fire. You know, it, it's the kind of thing that gets him to sort of very quickly say, I will give you all my money if you do this. Or he assumes that like talking things out will, you know, diffuse the situation. I think there's an airplane overhead, which is kind of breaking Batty in in its own way. Oh, no, dark. Mm. Floating bear in a pool. Let's talk about that phone call that ended last week's episode between Walt and Skylar. So at this point, Walt has fled and Skylar is surrounded by cops. Why can't you do one thing, I say? What? This is your fault. This is what comes of your disrespect. I told you, Skylar. I warned you for a solid year. You cross me, there will be consequences. What part of that didn't you understand? You took my child. Because you need to learn. You bring her back. Maybe now you'll listen. Maybe now you'll use your damn head. You know, you never believed in me. You were never grateful for anything I did for this family. Walt, Walt, you have to stop. You have to stop this. It's immoral. It's illegal. Someone might get hurt. You're always whining and complaining about how I make my money, just dragging me down while I do everything. And now... Now you tell my son what I do after I've told you and told you to keep your damn mouth shut. You stupid bitch. How dare you? I'm sorry. He specifically calls the landline, which he knows very well would be bugged. Mm-hmm. Especially because he knew like his son had also called the cops not that long ago, too. Uh, that, that seems interesting to me because my initial impulse was wow, this is really dark and he's completely off his rocker at this yeah, point. He's being the and worst he, Walt he could be. And he is. 
I mean, he's honestly at that point where if you just read it like that, it would probably be, well, he's gone through a lot of crap. And as soon as, <laughs> as soon as like Hank died, I kind of feel like, you know, he's sort of been like this shredded human, even more so than he had before. But, you know, obviously there's like this alternate reading where he's like, how would you say it? Like liberating her liberating her right in the eyes of the cops basically yeah i mean at some point you realize that he knows that the cops are listening and she knows while saying these awful things right because he doesn't he means them in a way but he isn't meaning there's to certain, say it to her. And she realizes lines, this. Like, I, I actually rewatched this, that, that scene just this morning, just to see how it played again. And there's certain lines that kind of stick out where he says, like, you never appreciated me and what I did for this family. And then he kind of flips it and says, you always try to hold me back with, like, you know, how I make my money and things like that. So it's it's a little bit of both where he's saying these things that he probably means while also taking all of the onus on, like, the business and the violence and the crime onto himself. And admitting that he forced her to partner with him. Right. So if and when he does get caught and tried for this, yeah. she does not get tried mm-hmm. as quite as much of a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. Now, I did not realize that this was happening when the episode was going on because I was way too shocked because this episode was, like, the craziest thing I'd ever seen but it dawned on me like an hour later that oh Skylar completely knew that he knew that the cops were listening and this was all kind of an act and earlier in the episode we had seen his first lie and how he's become a better actor Mm -hmm. and liar as the series has gone on and this was like his Oscar performance (laughs) Um, I mean the fact that she listened so quietly didn't interrupt him and like I'm sure she felt hurt but at the same time I think she understood what he was saying through his words. Mm -hmm. He's also sort of making it easier on both of them to sort of blow up the relationship. Mm -hmm. By being so specifically awful to her, he's sort of pulling the Band-Aid off all at one time because if they, like, let it, like, linger in, like, this gray area forever, you know, I don't know. People, like, end up, like, loving who you love no matter what. And so people say, well, I still, like, see the person that I used to love even though he's awful and abusive and whatever. And so this is sort of just like this crazy heightened version of that where he's basically being as verbally abusive as possible to basically... Push her away. Yeah, exactly. Push her away. So is this a moment of Walt actually being somewhat heroic because he's finally letting Skylar White free? So he's basically being loving by calling her a bitch. (laughs) I don't know. But we should probably talk about like the other reading of that scene where... Emily Nussbaum of The New Yorker, TV critic, wrote like this alternate reading of that scene by basically saying that this in in some ways is trolling the trolls on the internet. The ones who hate Skylar White. Because there were very specific like little words or lines or even like, you know, using the word bitch was sort of the way that like the internet sort of said like, God, if only for that bitch wife, you know, that he has, like he could just be awesome and do whatever he wants and whatever. And... I don't know if that specifically was on the mind of Vince Gilligan or the screenwriter of that particular episode or Ryan Johnson who directed it, but it does at least defang 
you know, it's it's basically throwing the hate words back at the people, who, you know, on the internet who have been saying these things. Mm-hmm. But do I I read that piece as well, and mm-hmm. I really appreciated her reading of that. But do we think that the quote bad fans, as she calls them, uh, felt put in their place at all by that no, scene, they, or were they, they like were probably yeah, like rooting, yeah. like yes, finally he said it. Sure, I mean it's it's hard to put like. A motive to like these faceless like assholes on the internet because you know if you talk to any one of these people you know face to face they would probably never say any of the things I mean this is just like the history of the internet you know if you <laughs> talk to the any history of the internet well when the dinosaurs invented the internet uh, but you know there's something about the anonymity of it that like allows them to sort of like voice these these things um, yeah, um, the, one of the last lines in um, in Anna Gunn's op-ed in the New York Times it was really interesting to me. Um, she kind of brings it all together by saying, um, "But I finally realized that most people's hatred of Skylar had little to do with me and a lot to do with their own perception of women and wives. Because Skylar didn't conform to a comfortable ideal of the archetypical female, she'd become kind of a Rorschach test for society and a measure of our attitudes towards gender." I think she's completely right there. I get that. Uh, and I agree, but like if you look at like other other wives on television, let's like expand out a little bit. Look at Mad Men. That's yeah, like let's... a very specific example where uh, Betty Draper and January Jones got like, a lot of the same hate on the internet, and part of that is because she so toes the line of like what was an expected housewife and. The way that Matthew Weiner writes her is being very 1950s, you know, on the surface, a very conservative, um, I wouldn't say like driven by money, but like affected and reaps the benefits of like her privilege. And people found her just as as toothless and having no agency. And so if if Skylar is like the the opposite of that, where she is standing up for herself, Mm Betty Draper for a good chunk of those first few seasons, absolutely not. Yeah, she was totally ignoring what Don was doing mm-hmm. and letting him sleep around and do whatever. And like, so what? What is a satisfying female wife character? Like, what is she supposed to do? Like, it's wrong for her to fight against the husband's action, but it's also like awful if she doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So in her place, though. That, that show very specifically uses like the time, the time period as a way of sort of shackling mm-hmm. her in particular. But you certainly see that in Peggy or Joan where, you know, they're very more career driven or independent, but still constrained by the, the mm-hmm. time period. So Betty in particular, I feel like never was really given much to grow for those first chunks of episodes just because that's just kind of, this sounds awful, but that's just how it is. Has her character gotten any more driven since leaving Don and getting remarried? It's, like, it's how hard is her, to tell. Yeah, how has her wifehood changed by changing husbands? The first couple seasons, like, after she left Don, like, in that, I think it was, like, the third or fourth season when it kind of finally, it must have been the third season, because they kind of, like, blew up like a good chunk of like what was like what people thought of as Mad Men. They eventually like changed locations. They changed you know all this stuff, and part of that was like they had like this gigantic falling out, 
and she finds out the truth finally about who he is and where he comes from and she it was kind of an excuse for her to get out cleanly mm-hmm. and I think part of it was they just sort of like didn't know what to do with her after that mm-hmm. she's still motivated by comfort and money mm-hmm. and feeling protected um, she has more agency though now I mean there was like a season where I think January Jones was just not available because maybe. she was pregnant I think there was like a reason like they only had her like in a few episodes one of the seasons mm-hmm. but I, I want to say like the most recent seasons she's kind of finally caught up with like how other, you know other more independent women are acting I wouldn't say she's Joan or Peggy in that way. Do you think her getting fat has to do with her character, um, you know, like the physical manifestation of these desires that she has for money and for, you know, basically stuff, things, food, etc.? <laughs> Probably. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about like her addiction to maybe like her comforts monetarily or romantically or whatever as being like the same thing with with food but i think once she was sort of in a healthier relationship she sort of felt like she could i don't know relax i guess for a second not and not that she's relaxed in no this. because like that <laughs> that in and of itself like the weight like would then stress her out and mm-hmm. and then she tries to diet mm-hmm. and then she eats in secret at night mm-hmm. it's yeah i don't even that was a strange diversion only because I think they were trying to figure out what to do with her while she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the most recent season, she was back to sort of being her her normal body shape. Mm-hmm. But she also like seemed more empowered by that. Like she had gotten over that, realized that her now her her current husband isn't going to leave her mm-hmm. even when she's like at her physically her worst which is sort of how she values herself i think well i guess because she's less of a character we could almost put um peggy as Mm -hmm. his stand-in um almost don's work wife Mm -hmm. and people love peggy as far as i know they root for her she's the strong female character of the show strong in quotations i mean i guess we can't like keep talking about these like vague fans but i i was gonna say like I guess they are rooting for her, but they don't want her to stand in Don's way. Right. So they will only root for her insofar as Don is still able to flourish himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's Peggy versus Don. They still want Don to win. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I, I feel like as the show's gone on, it's done nothing but, you know, when we first see Don Draper, he's just so glamorous and. Uh, great Peggy at his job, and she's not. And they've, they've, as as he's sort of gone downhill, you know, you can like chart it on the graph where like she's kind uh-huh. of going up, and she, you know, she knows how to like dress herself better. She feels more confident. It got to the point where like she had to leave mm-hmm. the agency just to get under out of out of his shadow, basically, because he was always going to kind of keep her in mm-hmm. a certain place, even though he probably did more to help her than anyone else. And they're so alike. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me how choosy the reactions can be to encouraging, you know, these these female characters to either um, just shut up and deal with the situation that they're in, or to be strong and get out. In mm-hmm. Peggy's case, I mean, you even think about someone like Carmela Soprano. She sort of splits the difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
What's interesting about Carmela is that she chose this life. Unlike um, Skylar, who ended up being married to more or less a mobster, um, Carmela entered this marriage knowing who... Um, Tony. Tony is. Uh, <laughs> of course. The titular Tony Soprano. <laughs> Um, and there is the first season where she kind of tries, I don't even know what exactly she wants, but she wants him to start going to church and maybe like curb his mobbishness. Um, I, I would have a hard time believing that she would want him to like leave entirely because that's she not loves possible. the benefits of that. She likes the big house yeah. and she likes the clothes the and gold, she likes yeah, the yeah. columns. Um, you also sort of see her occasionally like wield that power. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what season, what episode or anything like that, but there's a certain section where they're trying to get Meadow Soprano into college and she wants like a letter of recommendation from somebody. And in order to do that, I think she basically has to sort of she not so subtly intimidate and threaten this person saying like, you know who my husband is, you know who I am. To be fair, she uh, does wield a platter of something she made. I don't mm-hmm. even remember, like a pie or something. Well, but her a lot of her power as classical female characters are their powers through food and yeah. through cooking mm-hmm. and their ability we to see her in the kitchen so much. Yeah. Um, so she like gives this woman that she wants to write the recommendation, this platter, and at the same time, like without being uh, too gaudy, emphasizes the fact that she is Mrs. Soprano. Mm-hmm. But she certainly does like turn a blind eye. She's sort of like, I I want these things. Uh, I realize probably how my husband is getting us these things. And I certainly am aware probably of the, the women on the side and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the season goes on, or the, the series goes on, she does eventually sort of, they have like this gigantic, messy, messy fight where she does eventually like leave him for a section of the series. They eventually like, she tries to sort of be alone or find, you know, if not soul searching per se, then trying to be independent, mm-hmm. at least for a section of the show. Well, it almost seems like the fact that he's <laughs> killing people, um, she has learned how to compartmentalize mm-hmm. that. But the fact that the he affairs has are... other women on the side is just too much to take. Yeah. Um, she can't Strang- give up that much of her wifely power. Yeah. Strangely, the uh, the opposite is almost true for, for Betty, where she almost like is ignorant of like the other women, but it's like his personal life. You know, it's his secrets and like who he really is that was sort of like the final, final straw. You know, it's interesting to me thinking about how so many of the, these other male antiheroes, part of what makes them bad is the fact that they are adulterous. But in Breaking Bad, that's never even flirted with as a possibility. Somebody wrote about that saying like how sexless this show is. Mm-hmm. There's so like. I feel like the only sex that Walter White ever has is like when he kind of like aggressively has like this angry sex with Skyler. With Skyler. And there's also the sad hand job in like the first episode. Oh yeah, well. I think there's at least one <laughs> loving scene where they're both into it. Wait, I com- I can't believe I completely didn't say this, but Skyler is the one that cheats. Mm-hmm. Oh, Skyler yes. is the one yeah, that cheats. Yeah, and that was sort of walls. her power play to sort of And I think that also made people angrier. Mm-hmm. Right. So not only was she a drag, now she was cheating on Walter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, while he's trying to just do good for his family yeah. by by cooking meth, you yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's true. That's that's a good point. For the most part, they've been very like joyless. You know, right. it's not like their power and their money and their drug business turns them on. Mm-hmm. It it for it's like a power play. It is. I mean, yeah. I think for a lesser show, you know, money and power would be equated with sex, and it would it would turn them on and it would bring their relationship closer. Mm-hmm. But Breaking Bad is not quite going to give in to that simplicity. I mm-hmm. mean, they're even though they are now partners and one could argue equals in this in this business, in this business of crime, it it doesn't necessarily make them emotionally closer at all. I think that's true. Um, It's it's interesting, like, these three shows, which I kind of consider, like, the three kind of pillars of, like, great television in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, have kind of created, like, this era of, like, this anti-hero and also their wives. Yes, Mrs. Anti-Hero. Which I think is now, like, and I think there's just, like, a, a general sense of anti-hero fatigue at this point in this golden era of television because like anything else when it becomes popular and critically acclaimed you get like these imitators these other shows that sort of try to ape the same sort of things but not nearly as much depth as what Tony Soprano or Walter White or Don Draper get so you you get Dexter and you get like these Ray Donovan so I mean there's so many it's it's kind of embarrassing how how they keep trotting out like the same trope over and over again but without writing the characters that benefit that so in walking dead you get basically these ghost like characters Mm -hmm. they kind of have nothing to do with it and therefore like the women are just sort of like i'm protecting my wife from the zombies and that's kind of all it is even uh like when network television came out with what was it playboy club and pan am mm-hmm. because they were like oh okay the 60s are really in let's do the show but they forgot like the reason people love mad mm-hmm. men is because of the density and the depth sure well you also have a couple of female anti-heroes that have populated tv shows i mean take something like enlightened or the wife in house of cards or even weeds even though weeds went really downhill but mm-hmm. all of those had these complicated fucked up women in do do they have a guy who like tries to like stop them and tell them they're doing wrong there's a show on on showtime like i would say like weeds kind of started like this whole like half hour comedy drama sort of thing where like all these women were sort of the center of it. it it was uh mary louise parker in weeds but then all of a sudden edie falco was on this show called nurse jackie and she's this put upon nurse she's overworked she's sort of like one of those people that just gets gets shit done and she like works really hard but underappreciated and whatever you find out then that she is addicted to pain pills and that's sort of like her her foible is like she is has like this destructive life and she's also like having this affair and so her husband and her two like little daughters on this show are more or less the like it, it flips the the thing so the like husband there's plays the yeah, mom yeah, and, wife, basically. right and you know you keep wondering i really haven't watched the show in a while because they kind of have no stakes this one one show i'm uh have kind of given up on but just like don draper you keep wondering like well what happens when her husband finds out yeah and there's i think there's a few other shows that are sort of in that in that world. But I think like the paradigm is sort of shifting though. I mean, enlightened is 
does have a character that tries to stand in the main character's way. I mean, Laura Dern is the star of it, and the show was created by Mike White, and Mike also plays the co-worker to this woman who's had a psychotic break and then is trying to infiltrate and bring down the company that she works for. And Mike White's character is kind of this nerdy, shy um foil who's like no that's not a good idea you want yeah. me to hack into the system no way he's like he's like okay. the, the, the nebbish pragmatic voice yeah. saying maybe you shouldn't do these things uh i i thought that show was super fascinating but i think the ultimate like, people didn't gravitate towards that and it got canceled and it got canceled uh almost because they didn't know how to take her character right and um and laura dern's character amy is so hateable Mm -hmm. you know she says and does everything wrong everything that you're not supposed to say and it's so uncomfortable to watch her but that said she was still like in my mind kind of a revolutionary character it's interesting because like you first meet her as almost as a flashback of her like at her moment of like psychotic break and you kind of see like how she used to be and then she comes back from like this kind of new agey retreat thing reinvigorated but and trying to like almost overshare this experience with people to the point where you're annoyed with her for that reason too because we all kind of know those soapboxy kind of friends like you know the kale club kind of people that if we just like all ate healthier and and better and we treat each other better and if these companies were just doing more for the, you're like okay enough just you know enough and picturing a kale club sort of like the harvard club of new york like the kale <laughs> club of new york yeah. the building is all made of organic materials mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like Enlightened ultimately failed because, I don't know, people weren't ready for a female anti-hero as unlikable as Amy Jellicoe. Mm-hmm. That show's like also like very existential where the way she acts on the outside is different than what her like kind of inner monologue and her mm-hmm. her voiceover sort of exposes about her and how thoughtful she is trying to be and struggling to be. And I don't know if people are always as willing to follow like such gray area mm-hmm. um hbo and amc and all these networks are kind of like riddled with like genre right now and that was like show firmly not that it wasn't gangsters and it wasn't a period piece and it wasn't um i don't know how would you say it like crime based or sci-fi based it's just kind of like normal people doing normal things mm-hmm. that said do you guys feel like we are in a good place for female characters in television right now um, yes. <laughs> I think Game of Thrones is another good thing, uh, another good show to consider because there it's not just like uh, a woman put in a masculine anti-hero role. There are women like working within female character parameters, but like making They're working within like decisions. those constraints of that time period or that yeah, world or whatever. they are wives and daughters yeah. and um mothers but they're making some interesting complex choices it's funny you bring that up i i've thought about that show because when that that show first came on there was so much talk about like the sex position where mm-hmm. because Which of hbo one? like every i mean every hbo show at some point sort of has that sort of thing but they really played it up where it seemed on the surface like very chauvinistic and oh they're just putting a lot of tna in there just because you can and they kind of kept saying well it that's also sort of like if 
if there's going to be horrors that like this guy like has like this brothel, mm -hmm. they will probably be sort of naked and doing these things. I wasn't sure if you said horrors Horror. or whores. Horror, a horror of horrors. <laughs> uh, because there is a lot of bloodshed there no, as I know. well. <laughs> and and like horrible violence and rape and, and things like that. The beheadings are almost like the most innocent things that happen yeah. on that show. Yeah. But as the show has gone on, it seems like the men keep making like the same mm -hmm. mistakes and the women are kind of expanding themselves and becoming mm -hmm. clearly the stronger, better option for at least or counter programming to like the mm -hmm. the warmongering men who are just keep banging their heads against the wall. Yeah, they're they're not just anti heroes. They're yeah. like complex characters. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's the thing that we're hoping for. We don't just want strong women on TV. We want complicated women. We want sure. women who also make bad decisions mm -hmm. and mistakes and are vain and are lovable and thoughtful and wonderful because that's what makes Walter White and Don Draper and Tony Soprano so fascinating women should be deserving of those characteristics as well. I think more and more there's like more shows coming out and I would even say like the shows that we've talked about there's few women characters ever that are as complex as someone like Carla Mello Soprano or even Betty Draper as much as people like kind of rag on on her or January Jones limited acting skills uh, <laughs> but I, I think we're sort of getting getting over the hump where there's a show like Orange is the New Black or this sci-fi show Orphan Black, which there's like this char this female actress who basically plays like four or five different versions of the same character. She's spoiler alert there. She finds out she's a clone, and so like you keep meeting like different versions of herself, but she's able to sort of play like tiny iterations that are different in each version. Like one's a housewife and one's you know, a scientist and one's this and whatever. And, you know, obviously Orange is the New Black has gotten so much attention for, like, how many diverse types of women there are of race and uh, sexuality and class. You know, class. Like, it kind of just runs the entire gamut. It doesn't totally address class the way that maybe it could. But Yeah, agreed. Um, at least with, um, what's her name? The... Pensataki. Yeah. But we are, you guys think we are at least making strides in the right direction. Well, uh, I would say yes. I would say there was another piece that was sort of a reaction to Anna Gunn's piece that I think I forwarded to you guys that was Maureen Ryan, who writes for Huffington Post, mm -hmm. and she used to write for the Tribune back in the day. Uh, and she kind of had like this reaction that I'm glad that Anna Gunn made this sort of thing. To me, it didn't go far enough, she basically said said it's as good as it's ever been but let's keep pushing that that ball forward basically mm -hmm. and there was that slate article that too that basically said there's so many more opportunities of different shades than there ever has been before so i think it's great i mean mm -hmm. it, it really kind of depends on the show though yeah like i said like there's so many imitators that are so bad for so many reasons that of course they're going to underserve the people on it. So what we really need to do is support the shows that mm -hmm. have these complex characters but also like keep questioning and keep pushing them mm -hmm. to keep going. Yeah, definitely. And do more. And hold them accountable, I think. You know, as much as people sort of god worship someone like Matthew Weiner for like, you know, he creates this world, mm -hmm. you know, hold him accountable when, you know, they take their characters into a path that doesn't seem like it's, I don't know, 
legitimately what would happen with that character or advancing the conversation about mm -hmm. gender mm -hmm. and other things on TV. Yeah. I feel like Matthew Weiner has done a pretty good job with that. I think his failing is is more race based mm -hmm. with not addressing that, but for the most part like those the three kind of pillar women on that show what is happening upstairs? I don't know. My neighbor is the nice. third unofficial host of Bonnie and Maude. Uh -huh. <laughs> the, uh, the most hated host. <laughs> yeah. She's trying to hold the the anti-heroes back from achieving our journey. As long as it's not like some sort of a Walter Weiss, Skyler, angry sex that's happening upstairs. Who even knows? Who knows? Um, um, so tonight is the penultimate episode of Breaking Bad, as we said. So we are going to see what happens. What the heck is going to happen to Skylar and Walt and the whole gang? I have no <laughs> idea how the show is going to end. Yeah. Everyone's going to die. Oh, my goodness. What do you think? You know, this is a show that has, I think, like the best shows, like a Six Feet Under or The Wire or whatever. I kind of have no idea what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. They're sort of like, I think, for fans for this show there's sort of like a checklist in your head of, okay, they kind of need to like wrap up this sort of thing. They kind of need to do this to get to this place. And my prediction of when those things will happen on that timeline have never panned out. For instance, I really thought this cat and mouse game between Walt and Hank was going to be the entirety of that season. Yep, me too. And it happened in the first episode. <laughs> and that was it. And it kind of lingered a little bit after that, but like their main confrontation was that very first episode when it came back. And so... Little by little, like they're wrapping up things, but now I don't know where there is to go next. You know, there's that gun in the trunk. That's all I know. Yep. Um, well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on Bonnie and Mod to talk about this. Oh, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you. Um, and you can get in touch with us by emailing bonnieandmod at gmail.com if you have comments, questions, um, want to make any recommendations. We have some great conversations going on on our Facebook, so join in. And uh, as always, we'd love reviews on iTunes. Thanks. my broom honey I used to love it oh I used to love to ride the rain with your body